So I mentioned that we're working our way through the book of Acts using the essential question. So what is the essential question? The essential question is, put simply, how can I make a difference for God? So we're going to, as we go through this morning, we're going to think about that a little bit. But for now, I want to mention there's something on your link, um, an event on the 14th of June, uh, which the elders have termed the essential response. Um, And what this is, is every four years in the URC, churches are required to to do an LMMR, which is a Local Mission and Ministries Review. Uh, It should take six months, um, and I'm sorry to say that very large part due to me. The last one took four years, Um, but it was finished just before we due to start this one. (laughs) Part of that um, is what we call a church vision day. Now, we didn't have that four years ago because we'd just done almost exactly the same thing with Chick Yule, Um, but this year we are going to have this vision day. So the 14th of June, which is a Sunday, we're going to have our normal Sunday service in the morning. and that's, um, but we're encouraging everybody to bring a packed lunch. We're going to share a bit of a time, of a, of a chat over lunch. And then we're going to have um, a time of thinking and praying and discussing what is it God wants from our church? What is our ministry and what is our mission? It'll be an interactive day. There'll be a chance for everybody to, to get involved. It won't just be a sit round talking. We'll be... We'll be moving things about in some way and we'll, you know, we'll make it interesting, I hope, and, and interactive. So please put it in your diaries. It's an important day for our church. It's important that we, that we understand why we're here and what God wants from us. So, right, back to this week's essential question. So as I mentioned, we're looking at chapters 5, 6, and 7 from the book of Acts this morning. And um, I, can't, I can't cover it all, so I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 6 yourselves, uh, sorry, chapter 5 yourselves, and we will look particularly this morning at chapters 6 and 7. And to start, Dave is going to bring us our first reading, which is the whole of chapter 6. It is indeed Acts 6. The choosing of the seven. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. 
This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicaeon, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. He produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All of us sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So, before we look at that in more detail, I want to tell you a story. So, once upon a time, a daughter complained to her father that her life was miserable and that she didn't know how she was going to make it. She was tired of fighting and struggling all of the time, and it just seemed as one problem ended, another one began. Her father was a chef. So he took her to the kitchen, and he filled three big pots with water, and he put each one on the stove or on a fire. And once the three pots began to boil, in the first pot, he put some potatoes... In the second pot, he put some eggs. And in the third pot, he put some coffee beans. And he let them sit and boil. And he didn't say anything at all to his daughter. And his daughter moaned and whinged and was impatient, really, and wondered what he was doing. And after 20 minutes, he took the pots off and he took the potatoes out and put them in a bowl. And he took the eggs out and put them in a bowl and he poured the coffee out into a cup. And he said to his daughter, what do you see? And his daughter said, well, I see potatoes, and I see eggs, and I see coffee. So he said, well, look a bit closer. Look at the potatoes, feel them, what do you see? And she said, well, they're soft potatoes. Nice potatoes, but they're potatoes. He said, well, take the egg and break that. So she broke the egg and she could see inside it was hard-boiled, but it was a hard-boiled egg. And finally he said, now take a sip of the coffee. So she sipped the coffee and she said, oh, it's nice coffee. But she said, what, what does it mean? It's potatoes, it's eggs and it's coffee. It's food. 
And the father said, each one of those things, the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee, they've all faced the same adversity. They've all been in boiling water for 20 minutes. But what happened to them is different. The potato went in and it was hard and strong and firm and it came out all soft, probably a bit mushy after 20 minutes of boiling. The eggs went in soft and fragile and liquid but came out hard. But the coffee, the coffee was different. The coffee changed the water. So he said, which are you? He said to his daughter, which are you? When you faced with the adversity, are you a potato? Are you an egg? Or are you coffee? Or coffee bean? In life, things happen to us all of the time. But what matters is, as we face things today or tomorrow or next week or next year, what will we do? Will we be a potato? Will we just sit there and go soft and mushy? Will we be an egg and go hard and, and stand up? Or will we be a coffee? Will we be coffee grounds? Will we change the situation somehow? Suffering is is inevitable in life. Um, but we've got a really good advantage in this room. We know God. And we know that God can take that suffering and that adversity and he can turn it into something positive. It's never arbitrary or pointless. And we're never alone as we go through it. If God can turn something as gruesome as a crucifixion into the salvation for the world, what can he do with our trials? And I'm not saying that our trials are tiny by any stretch of the imagination. They can be huge. But God can definitely work us through it. So what we need to think about is when our next trial comes, and we're going to think a little bit more as we go through Acts, are we going to be an egg or a potato or some coffee? Two or three years ago, Nick and I went to uh, some talks in Salford, and one of the speakers there was a, was a lady called Deborah Searle. And, and she talked about um, an adventure she went on with her husband. Her husband was a, a rower, and he came home one day and he says, I've got this really great idea. We should enter this two-person rowing race across the Atlantic. Now, I don't think she was that thrilled at first but in the end she agreed to do it and, and they trained for a little while although I don't think she had very long to train and they set out on this race and after, after about I think it was on day two when they sort of got out of sight of the land her husband realised that he was scared of open spaces so they called the helicopter and her husband got airlifted out now she had two choices at this point she could either get on the airlift as well and go home but she didn't. She carried on. Now, what, what she spoke about is during that journey, she had to work out, she had to choose her attitude. Because when you're one person in a two-man boat in the middle of the Atlantic, you don't have a lot of control. She was saying that she could row for two days solidly and make 50 miles, 
And then overnight, there'd be a big current, and it'd take her right back again to where she was two days ago. So is that the point you give up, or do you carry on? And she carried on, and she carried on. And it, you know, she was expecting to finish in, I think, about the October. Well, at Christmas Day, she was sat in the boat on her own in the Atlantic. Um, <clears throat> she did manage to get, to get a message from her family on Christmas Day on a, on a little radio that she had. But that was it. It was just her and God in that boat. And there was, she talked about lots of, of the adversities and things that she went through as she was on, on that race. And in the, in the spring of the new year, she made it. She completed the race. She didn't win. You know, I think many of the other racers had finished months ahead of her. But she did do it by choosing her attitude, by deciding to be the coffee, I guess. And, and maybe at times she decided she was going to be the egg, and, and I'm sure at other times she was the potato. She probably just sat in the, in the, in the bottom of the boat, all mushy. So, what we need to look at now is, is to think, you know, as we... As we Look at, I'm going to get Colin to put, put that first, first verse of chapter 6 um, back up there. And as we look at that and as we think about that, you know, just have in mind a little bit about what, what our trials might be and about what, how we might react. So, what we see at the beginning was something that was really unique to the beginning of the, uh, to the start of the church. There was troubles in the church. It was almost, you could probably call it something like church politics. Now, obviously, it doesn't exist at all anymore. But in those days, there were disagreements in churches. And um, in this case, it was, it was the Jews who spoke Greek and the Jews who spoke Hebrew. The, the, Greeks, the, you know, the, the, uh, the ones who spoke Greek were saying, to the, saying, well, the Jews who speak Hebrew, they don't feed our, our widows. They don't give them enough food or they miss them out and it's not fair and... So they went to the 12 apostles and they said, well, it's not fair. You've got to do something about this. You're the apostles. You know, feed, feed our families. So the apostles sort of said, well, oh, we haven't got time to do this. Maybe they thought, oh, we're a bit above that. Maybe it's like the chair rotate, you know. They, oh, I could get somebody else to do that. I don't want to do that. No, I, don't, I don't think that's the message. I think the message is that they, you know, they, they really felt called by God that, that they were there to speak and to preach and to share, gospel, share the gospel and to minister in different ways. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, so they said to the, um, they said, you know, we can't neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. So what they did was they went to the, the congregation, they went to the, the believers, and they said, if we, if we go to the next thing there, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. It's interesting that they didn't say choose seven men among you who are good chefs or who are good at the practical stuff because what they were after was people to do the practical stuff. But they didn't say, oh, let's get seven good DIYers or seven good chefs or seven strong men who can carry the food. They said, let's get seven men who are full of spirit and wisdom. So they did that. And they turned over that responsibility. If we, if we move on uh, again, and that, you know, the... The group liked it, and, and we hear about Stephen there, you know, cracking name, obviously. Um, 
and, and the others, who Dave pronounced very well, so I don't want to go there. <laughs> if we move on again. Um, and the apostles then prayed for them and laid on hands. And, you know, we still do that now, don't we? When people take on new roles and... Um, and, and I think, uh, in, again, in your link, we've got something coming up um, on Pentecost where we're going um, to pray for the, the elders that were, that were elected uh, at, the, at the general meeting. And, um, and we're going to pray for them and we're going to lay hands on them at that, on that day of Pentecost. So we still do that now. So if we we move on again so the word of God spread so it worked (coughs) excuse me you know it goes on Stephen um, brimming verse uh, yeah next one there you go so Stephen a man full of God's grace and power did wonders and miraculous signs among the people so even though he was obviously really good at, you know, they sorted out the problems. But it doesn't say Stephen was a really great cook or Stephen was really, it, it, again, it, Stephen was a, a man who did miraculous signs. Now, the miraculous signs might have been calming down the, 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 Greek, um, the Greek people, although I, I think the, the likelihood is that because of the, the way that Stephen is written, it's a, it's a Greek version of the name, so he probably was one of the Greeks. But we hear about his miraculous signs and his great wonders. If we move on to um, verse 15. It says there, all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen and they couldn't take their eyes off him. His face was like an angel. So, you know, even with the, even with those people, we heard they talk about the lying and the people making things up about him to get him in trouble. Even with all that, he sat in front of the council, the Sanhedrin, with the face of an angel. Excuse me, sorry. So he was calm in the face of the pressure. He had God's face, uh, God's peace. Sorry. Now, shortly we're going to hear um, from Acts seven. We're going to move into Acts seven, which continues to talk about Stephen, and Elaine's going to bring us that. But just to set the scene, because Elaine's going to start from chapter fifty-one, so we're going to kind of skip a little bit now. Um. But Stephen, as he's in front of the Sanhedrin, this council of, of priests and, and senior people, he gives them a sermon. Now, in my notes here, I've written as part of his defense, he gives them a sermon. But actually, if you read the sermon, it's not really a defense. It's quite, an, um, it's quite a forthright sermon. He, he talks about, because they, they were accusing him of, of blaspheming against Moses and against God. But what, what Stephen does in that sermon that you can read, he, 
He talks to them about the birth of the Jewish nation. He talks to them about Moses, about what Moses did and about why he did it. But he, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. He also talks to them about Jesus and about other prophets through the ages. And, and he kind of says to them, look, you know, maybe you still don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah but have you noticed, even in Moses' day, people didn't recognize Moses as the prophet. And, and as we go through every great prophet that the Jewish nation's been sent, you've missed every one of them. And, and in most cases, you've hurt them pretty badly. And um, as Elaine brings us the next reading now, he's just finished the main part of his sermon... And he's and he's he's summing up really now. He's gonna he's gonna make his point. So thanks, Elaine. Reading from Acts chapter seven, starting at verse fifty-one. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. Thanks, Elaine. So, obviously, we just heard there it didn't end well for Stephen. But let's 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 go back though. So, if we start, if we go back to the uh, the beginning of that of that reading, you know, there again, he, he's quite stern there. Really. You know, if he's trying to save his life, he's probably not he's not using the right words, really, is he? You stick, stiff-necked people. Um, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? So he's not really going about it in a, in a very self-preservation way. But he, he'd gone through the sermon and he's, you know, he's obviously quite, quite, ang- quite angry with them really. Um, although as you read the, the sermon, he does, I think he remains calm, but he obviously is at this point almost despairing of them. Um, 
if we move on to verse 54 um, when they heard this they gnashed their teeth you know they were they were they were getting more and more angry and then 55 but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God he looked up and he saw God and he saw Jesus there at God's right hand when he tells them this you know they're they're there they're gnashing their teeth at him they're getting angry with him and he looks up and he goes oh you know I can see Jesus there at the right hand of God they kind of lose it if we go on to the next slide there yeah and the next one there so you know at this point they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they rushed at him it's a it's a sort of a la 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 I can't hear you they're, they're so angry they don't even want to listen to him anymore but I wonder is it would they really were they angry because they thought he was wrong or were they angry because they thought he was right because if they think he's wrong, he's one man. They're the chief priests, they're trained speakers. They've got a man who's basically been brought in as a cook. And, and he's talking about this guy called Jesus. And, and, and they're getting so angry with him that they want to kill him. Is that because they think he's wrong or is it because they think he's right? And because they do believe that it's Jesus. And that actually, they're not just arguing against one man, but... But their whole lifestyle and their, their way of life and their comfy job is all based on something which is falling down like a house of cards around them. You know, it's, it, it, it's I mean, I, I guess times were different, but it, it kind of feels pretty childish to be holding your hands over your ears and, and sort of shouting, la, 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 I can't hear you, we're just going to drag you out and, and kill you. But nevertheless, they did. If we move on to the, uh, the next one there. Uh, there you see, meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man called Saul. Just remember that for a moment. We'll, we'll come back to that. But there, as we, as we draw to an end of this chapter, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed... Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And if you move on to the next one, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against, it, against them. So even as he's being killed and he, he's praying for them, he's still thinking of them. And then there, the cliffhanger, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible... You may know a little bit about the importance of Saul and why it was important to pick out those two sentences. If you're not familiar with the Bible, I encourage you to read it. Interestingly, I, I thought I was thinking to myself this morning, there must have been a film about Saul in some way or other. He's, he's a fairly big character. So I just did a Google search this morning. Is there a film about Saul? Well, I used his other name, actually, but you can learn that yourself. And there, there, well, there, there's a few. But interestingly, they're in the middle of making another one about Saul. 
and, um, and he's, Saul is being played by Hugh Jackman. So you can tell he's not a minor character in the Bible. Um, Hugh Jackman's playing him, and that's being made as we speak. So, yeah, if you don't know what Saul does, or, or uh, I'm not going to, that, that's for next week and, 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 the, and the week or two after that. So read it and or come along and learn more. It's exciting. Life-changing even, not just for him. So that was a bit of a whistle-stop tour through Acts 6 and 7. But how do we respond? You know, going back to, back to our potato, eggs and coffee how do we respond? You know, we can think back to chapter 6 and we started off hearing about that need in the church and it was filled by finding seven spirit-filled people who had the right gifts for those roles. So what are our gifts? What is it that we're good at? What is it that God, what gifts has God given us? Perhaps it's not the chair rotor, perhaps it is. Perhaps it's something else. Perhaps it's not even something to do with church here. Perhaps it's something to do with church nationally or globally or to do with church, perhaps with a a small C if there is such a thing, to do with doing God's work in a different way. Can we be like Stephen and the others of the seven, filled with God's Holy Spirit? A few couple of years ago, when we went to Spring Harvest, there was a guy up on stage and he was doing a talk on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was leading the Bible, it was what's called the Bible reading session, but he was telling us about the Holy Spirit. And he had his Bible on his Kindle. And I'm a great fan of Kindles. But on this occasion, what he hadn't done was charged it. <laughs> and the battery went. Now, I don't know how, how, he, how, um, whether he'd planned that or God had planned that, but it was a really great sermon illustration about the power of the Holy Spirit when his Kindle was completely flat and he had no Bible. Fortunately, we were in a room of about 3,000 Christians and there were a couple that had a Bible, so somebody did lend him one. But you know what? You can't pray often enough and, and ask God for his Holy Spirit to help us. You know, that's why God sent his Holy Spirit to us. Can we have the face of an angel? You know, in that adversity, Stephen was there and he had the face of an angel. Now, I know he had the advantage of being a Stephen, and Stephens are known to be the best-looking people in, in, in God's world. But I don't think that was specifically what the Bible was trying to get across. You know, I mean, he probably was fantastically good-looking. But I think what the Bible's trying to get across there is... The grace, really, that he's filled with the grace and filled with the Holy Spirit, and that he's at peace. And even though he knows things are pretty bad for him personally at this point, that ultimately, within God's plan, he's probably okay. What difference can we make about to the persecuted church? So, even now. Every month in our world, over 300 Christians are killed for their faith. 
214 churches or Christian buildings are destroyed every month and over 700 acts of violence are committed against Christians because of their faith. It's pretty scary numbers. A couple of years ago at Spring Harvest, I think it might have been the same one, one of the speakers was a man called Barnabas Mann. Mam, sorry, and you probably haven't heard of him. Um, he was born in Cambodia in 1950, and he became a Buddhist. He served at the Buddhist temple in the 1960s. In 1970, he joined the Communist Party of Cambodia. And things were going well, and he was sent to, uh, at one point, he was sent to a Christian meeting to spy on it and, um, and, and really take names, basically, to, to give to Pol Pot and his, and his leaders. Unfortunately for him, rather than taking names at this meeting, he became a Christian. Now, being a Christian in Cambodia in the 1970s wasn't ideal. So, in, by 1975, he was sent to prison camps and um, and he talks about some of the things that happened to him in those prison camps. And, and he's written a book, and it's amazing, actually, when you read, read through. <coughs> Excuse me. He talks of one, one evening or one night, he was called to go and see the guards in this prison camp. And he was, he was third in line to see these guards. Not many people ever came back from seeing these guards. So he prayed and he asked God to give him the words to say. And the guards were asking a simple question. Do you miss your wife and family? So the first guy in the queue, thinking that they were being compassionate, said, yes, I miss my wife and family. They saw him as weak. He didn't come back. The second guy in the queue kind of learned a bit of a lesson. Obviously, yes isn't the right answer. So they asked him the same question. Are you missing your wife and family? And he said, no. So they said, you're lying. So they took him away as well. So Barnabas then is the third guy in the queue, and he's up in front of them. And they ask him the same question. He said, do you miss your wife and family? And he says, I am here not to learn to miss my family, but to learn to work as hard as I possibly can. Now that saved him. And, and there's other stories that saved him. They sent him out one day and said, you've got to get enough food to feed all the prisoners. Um, and they said that there's a lake over there with fish in it. Go and get some food. They didn't give him any fishing rod or net or anything. They just said, go and get some fish. So he walked around the lake praying. And after he'd done a lap, a fish jumped out. He caught it. They did it again, and the second one jumped out, and he managed to get enough food to feed the thing. Some amazing stories. I think there was, there was reckoned to be about 200 people that survived the killing fields, 200 Christians that survived the killing fields. Well over a million died. Um, so, you know, amazing stories. And, and his is a, is a particularly amazing story. But... You know, we're, we're kind of lucky. We don't have those laws. We, don't, we, we can be fairly confident that we're not going to have to go and face 
somebody tomorrow that's going to ask us those sorts of questions with no right answer. But there are people in our country, there are Christians, I mean there's others as well, I'm focusing on Christian persecution, but it could be any persecution really. There's Christians in our classrooms, in our offices, who are bullied because of their faith. Or who are frightened to talk about the faith because they're frightened of bullying. Now, you might think, well, a bit of bullying, that's not as bad as as the killing fields of Cambodia where millions of people died. But for those individuals, it can make life impossible. So you think, well, how do I change that? I can't change the Cambodia killing fields. I can't stop something like that happening. But that's why I really like that little story of the eggs, the potatoes, and the coffee. Because as a coffee ground, we can't make any difference not as one, in a pot of water. You put one coffee ground in a pot of water, you're going to end up with a pot of water. There's about two and a quarter billion Christians in the world at the moment. Every year there are more new Christians. The Christianity is growing every year faster than there are atheists in the whole world. So every year we're adding more Christians than there are atheists. Now you might not get that message if you look at our news and our because in a couple of really wealthy western countries like Britain and like America there is a slight decline in Christianity you kind of wonder whether it's a little bit because there is none of this persecution not not that I'm asking for that by any stretch of the imagination but you kind of wonder you know is that is that part of it but globally in the world there are more Christians added every year than there are atheists in the entire world So, us as a coffee ground, we can't do anything. But if you get two and a quarter billion coffee grounds, you can make a serious cup of coffee with that. So how do we play our part? How do we get in that pot? Well, first we can pray. You know, it sounds... Simple, sounds too simple, but prayer has a massive impact. We can pray and we can listen to God. We can listen to God, what are our, what are our gifts, what is it that he wants us to do? We can act, we can act individually, we can act as a church, you know. We do, we're involved in Christian aid and other charities. Now, not all of them are relating to persecution directly, but maybe indirectly, you know, some of those countries are oppressed, are persecuted, even if it's not specifically for being Christian. It's by, you know, the, some of the Western countries, we withhold our share of the, of the food and of the wealth. You know, there's, there's, so much food, there's so much food in the world, yet so many people who don't get any and we could share a bit more probably we could take a stand now we might not be able to take a stand like Barnabas Mann or Mam or, or Stephen you know not all of us have got that strength that we could die for our faith but we've heard that a lot of Christians do Twelve months ago, I, w- I went to Atlanta with work, and I, and I was lucky that I managed to 
arranged my flight so that I was kind of left with a day at the end that I could do with as I, as I wished. And I, and I went to um, a small town near where, where we were staying in, in the city of Atlanta, where um, the church was that Martin Luther King was pastor. Martin Luther King Jr. was pastor there. And, and I saw the persecution that had happened there. And that, that was kind of, you know, at the start of my lifetime that that was still happening. And that's, and heard a little bit about what he did. And, um, and there's, a, there's a famous quote, you've probably heard it, in, you know, in terms of um, sort of uh, the, the um, race relations in America particularly. But there's a famous quote that, that Ro- Rosa Satz, Rosa Parks, who was uh, the black lady who sat in the white section on the bus, Rosa sat so that Martin Luther could walk. And Martin Luther walked so that Barack could stand, or could run, sorry. And Barack ran so that we can all fly. Now we don't have to be a Rosa or a, or a Martin Luther or a Barack but we can be a coffee ground. We can make a little stand, a little contribution to a charity, a little letter to our MP. Or you know, there's I think there's a a thing in this Christian Aid leaflet to to fill in and send to congratulate the new prime minister on his on his new job. You know, I'm not I'm not saying you should do it, but what I'm saying is maybe read it and maybe see see if it is something that you want to do. And maybe it won't make a difference. It certainly won't make a difference if, if I send it in. But if every Christian in the UK sends it in, that'd make a difference. You'd have to listen. So, and, I, and I'm not specifically endorsing this because I haven't read it in that level of detail. But what I'm saying is, decide for yourselves what are the things that you want to take that little stand on. We can all listen to God. We can all pray. And God will always tell us what those little things he wants us to do are. And, and if he thinks it's right, he might tell us to do some big stuff as well. Andy spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember the guy's name, but there's, there's the guy who drove um, Billy Graham to church for his first meeting, who who led Billy Graham to Christianity. All that guy did was drove a van. But if he hadn't, Billy Graham wouldn't have been there. You know, what if you're the guy who drives the van that, or the girl, the guy or the girl who drives the van that takes the next whoever, we don't even know their name, to the meeting that inspires them to do something that changes the world. But whatever level of involvement, whatever level of action it is that God wants us to take, what I firmly believe is that he's especially fond of you and especially proud of you. So, before we finish with some worship, Let's pray. Father, lead us. Guide us.
Reveal yourself to us. Help us to find our gift. Help us to find our calling. Most of all, help us to be the person that you have planned us to be. Amen.